if you get into sound, you have to accept that this is one of the least sexy of all the positions that you could be taking within within this industry. You're listening to the Adventures in Filmmaking podcast, the show where we share the stories of independent filmmakers, the challenges, successes, failures, and why so many of us are compelled to tell our stories with motion pictures. So what's the uh, elevator pitch? Who is who is Stephen Lauren, the the person slash sound guy slash um, uh, I want to say uh, a very helpful professional in, in the local <laughs> community? Yeah, because uh, you are you, you you I would say you're the most vocal, active like we'll say truly professional person, given that you work in the industry specifically. Uh, okay, so the elevator pitch. <laughs> Gee, isn't isn't that for people who write scripts or some <laughs> yeah. some such uh, you know a, a profession that has all these like incredible aspirations and lofty goals? I'm basically just I'm I'm the plumber. So uh, yeah. okay, the elevator pitch. Well, uh, I am a location professional location sound mixer, uh, working out of Ottawa. Um, I kind of do the gambit of TV, films, commercial, corporate videos. Uh, mm -hmm. My real, the thing I really like to do the most is uh, usually documentary work uh, or some sort of project that aligns with my activist sensibilities. Activist sensibilities, I like that. Yes. I mm -hmm. like that very much. Um, so I guess the my, my one of my biggest questions because and this is just following up from what we were talking about before you'd uh, you were a professional uh, blackjack player uh, for a number of years professional poker player professional po poker player oh okay. and yes. and and what so what led <laughs> like that that's a very interesting like, that's a journey I'm interested to go from professional uh, professional poker in Vegas to to uh, location sound uh, recorders mixer whatnot in in Ottawa of all places. Yeah. Um, so, uh, just for anybody listening, you can look at this as more of a word of warning than any career advice. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I fall into my career and fall into my successes or get dragged into them kicking and screaming. So, um, I'm also the poster person for turning your hobby into uh, a profession for better or worse. So, um, I, uh, uh, after working in government for a dozen years uh, and retiring from that, uh, I decided to literally pick up my chips and follow the part-time job that was paying almost as much as my full-time job, uh, moved to oh. Las Vegas, uh, and kind of traveled around uh, North America and Europe as a professional poker player for about eight years. Wow. So okay. I had a, uh, it was an incredibly boring job. Uh, <laughs> and I had, of course, like everybody else, side hobbies. And one of the hobbies I've had since the, you know, late seventies is, uh, PC gaming. So, mm -hmm. um, and as a part of a, maybe a kind of, somebody made a comment online that irked me when I wrote some fan fiction and they thought it, my fiction could really be, this is why I'm not a writer, by the way. Uh, they thought my fiction could really use some pictures. And I thought, okay, well, I'll give you pictures. I'll give you moving pictures. I'll create uh, some. I'll, I'll create some video out of the video game. I'll hack into the video game and create a mini movie. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, that sort of led to a creative outlet where I taught myself kind of cinema 101, but how to fake it in a, in an environment where you're editing with things like Sony Vegas and after effects. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. then I ended up with a YouTube channel that blew up as a result. I kind of awesome. created the okay. first feature length machinima film on YouTube in ever. <laughs> and, <Really>? uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I, I got internet famous <laughs> for whatever that's worth. Uh, <laughs> mocked much by my wife especially when we <laughs> ran into somebody in the public who had actually you know recognized me and heard of me <laughs> <laughs> which was totally like completely went to my head which was awesome so uh, as, as and, it should <laughs> yeah and then I thought eventually I thought what would it be like to actually work in like with 
you know, real people and proper professionals rather than like uh, hacking it on my own and learning from YouTube videos and getting voice actors to donate their time for free. So mm. I decided, uh, let's do something on set. And my wife was here in Ottawa, so I kind of moved back to Ottawa and uh, tried a real film set on somebody's short film and uh, thought, okay, well, I'll be a professional editor. And uh, as awesome. you can see, I'm a sound guy, not a professional editor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, I, yeah, at some point I made the pivot to sound because I realized that I was a very yeah. mediocre and slow editor, which made for a great hobby, but not a great profession. Mm. Right, so, right. Yeah. The, uh, that's, uh, that, that's quite the way to, so to, to get, to get to here, which yeah. is interesting. Actually, it's, uh, it's terribly interesting. Yeah. Um, so I guess another question is, so I know that I, I, cause we're Facebook friends, so I've seen a number of your posts. There was one point that I guess it must have been before the pandemic, you would, uh, you shared some photos from a shoot you're on in somewhere tropical. I can't remember, remember where at the time. Uh, that would be um is that the costa rica shoot maybe it might have been i shot i was uh part of a crew that went down to costa rica for like a month or so um and uh, shot a horror film okay yeah nice oh, and, and that was my my next question it kind of led yeah. into the um so you're here in ottawa you're essentially an industry professional in in, in a certain amount of demand given that you were hired and 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 and, and traveled to <laughs> to uh to costa rica as a yeah. uh, it is a full-time job now <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah and uh but i guess my other question is because i mean one of the things you always hear now this is now i should so let me back up and say this is when i'm looking into you know writing and whatnot the recommendation is always you got to move to la or toronto or vancouver or wherever that wherever the hot spots is but you're you're able to make a a, a reasonable living being here and you know i guess i assume there's enough jobs here and the travel is worthwhile or the, the pay for travel is worthwhile? Uh, yes. Um, my, like I've found a niche and part of it is I would, you know, the ego side of my brain says, oh, it's because I'm good at my job. But in truth, it's probably because the the supply of uh, of certain aspects or, or certain professions related to film and TV, the supply yeah. in Ottawa with people in some departments hasn't kept up with the demand so um as a result uh i mean there's a few things if you get into sound you have to accept that this is one of the least sexy of all the positions <laughs> that you could be <laughs> taking within within this industry uh the running jokes about you know the sound department getting no respect they're they're not true but you don't come into this for glory either we're the bass players so yeah right so like a bass player, and I used to be a bass player. I've toured a little bit. Of course. <laughs> uh, a lot of, uh, back in a previous life, um, a lot of sound people are bass players, and it has to do with the mentality. Uh, and this is the long way of kind of explaining why maybe I've had some success in Ottawa. If you're a bass player, you get to choose the gigs that you mm. want because bass okay. players are always in demand because nobody wants Very to be true. a bass player. So uh, in Ottawa here, there, I... I would love to say that I looked ahead and researched this to figure out whether the profession was possible. I did none of that. Um, <laughs> I got into sound and there happened to be a market here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I was looking on one shoot. I was watching what Randy Smith was doing, who has his own business. He's a great guy. Um, and yeah, yeah. he, you know, he does good work. Uh, and I was on a shoot where he happened to be the sound person for that shoot. And I was mm -hmm. watching what he was doing. And I thought I would like to do that. That'd be cool. If I wasn't <laughs> editing, that'd be neat. Uh, and <laughs> that is the extent to the depth of thought that I put into it. <laughs> okay. After that, of course, you have to plan things out once you decide and it gets very complicated and expensive in a hurry. But, uh, this was not, like I said, I, I get dragged by accident or kicking and screaming into my professions in life, and this really was, was no exception. So, yeah, there's enough work here. I did not realize that when I started this. There's more work than there used to be. Um, and, um, it you know, it, it, it definitely pays the bills. Uh, it also helps that I'm probably, you know, I'm maybe older than the average person just starting to get into this, uh, mm -hmm. into this business. So I've got 
other experiences in my life that I can draw upon to try to make, yeah. you know, to give this the best shot at being mm-hmm. successful as possible. You know, um, one thing I noticed, cause I, you know, I recently started studying, you know, sound and music and stuff like that at college. And, uh, one of the things I noticed was, you know, you see the other departments, you know, on a film set, you know, full of people, but I've no, like, like you said, like there's a lot of demand for sound guys because it seems like there's not a lot of sound people in Ottawa, but a lot of everything else. It partially, maybe it's the, the nature of the department. It scales kind yeah. of differently than the other departments on a film set. So if, if I'm on a set with that might have like 20 people on it, for instance, I might have mm-hmm. a boom op. So there might be two of us. If I'm on a, the next set that I'm on that has a hundred people, there'll be two of us. And yeah. maybe when you start really elevating to more complex scenes, you might plan ahead and get an assistant or a second boom, mm. but that wouldn't be the norm. So, so by its very nature, it's a very small department. Um, yeah. So yeah, you're not going to see a lot of sound people. In fact, there's, I've only met half the mixers that work in Ottawa and there aren't very many of us, but we all yeah. talk all the time you know, online and, and through mm-hmm. emails, but there's very little occasion unless we, you know, the, the annual meetups down at the uh, Pub Italia, um, mm-hmm. the, uh, the sound mafia, if you will, uh, <laughs> the, it's a thing. So, you know, unless it's there, you know, I don't actually get to meet the other sound people because it's not like, you know, we've got, you know, like a camera department and, you know, people yeah. rotating in, it just doesn't work the same way. It's very, it's kind of insular. Uh, it doesn't really, it doesn't help you know, the reputation that we have as the weird dude on set. <laughs> Just pointing the oh mic at things on the lunch hour. <laughs> there, there, there's a photograph, I think it's from Star Wars, that it, it pops up in my feed every now and again. They're like, it's like the whole crew together and someone someone commented, it's like, I want to know about the boom operator with no shirt, no shirt and tiny pink shorts. Yeah. You know what? It's funny that that, you know, it's a thing and people, everybody talks about that photograph. It's a great photo. Um, mm-hmm. The funny thing about that photo is it very much encapsulates a, a different era in sound in cinema. It, okay. yeah. it is from an era where the sound department was nearly king of the depart of all the departments, whatever the sound person uh, and the mixer said, we have to do this. That's what was done. Mm-hmm. Really? So you didn't have the same wireless technology that you do with like lav mics. Now mm-hmm. you didn't have the same post-production ability to deal yeah. with sound problems that you do now. So if you're down back in the seventies, if your sound person said, we can't shoot right now, uh, this has to change or that light has to be moved, it was done. And if it took hours, it took hours. Very much almost like, you know, what a lighting department, you know, people doing the lighting have to do right now. So back yeah. then, you know, the, the boom op was not some entry level position or something that, you know, you know a, a lower per, paid person on set. That boom op had, uh, even though they might've been technically reporting to the mixer, what that boom op heard and if it was a problem could bring a set to its halt like to, to to its knees and have it stop immediately and so you know who else can get away with pink shorts shorts and no shirt <laughs> on a set <laughs> to boom up but you could in the 70s but uh you, uh, you try that on a set in 2022 and hmm. <laughs> not gonna happen yeah, yeah i don't think so uh, yeah julian you had you had shared uh some time ago you had shared an article on facebook uh yeah um i don't remember who the who the people were in it but it talked about how this this sound mixer had worked with the same director five times, and the first four, the sound just didn't work out the way they wanted, until he went to the. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, does this this ring a bell at all? Anyway, uh, I think it was like. Is there you talking about the one where the sound, the uh, sound mixer finally went up to yes. the director and asked ahead of time that the departments all kind of meet with the sound department and plan accordingly. And yes, yeah, and yeah, and, okay. yeah. Um, that one, uh, you can, I, I honestly, I'm gonna be honest, I, I skimmed it, but I thought it was interesting because it, it, it speaks to what Steven said about, yeah, how, how sound is, is viewed on set now versus, versus in the past. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the take, and, and I, I, sh- it's, it's interesting, I shared that just after graduating and before I had kind of because up until that point for me up until when I graduated I had only done 
basically small short films that I had directed. Sometimes I recorded sound, but uh, it was kind of eye-opening having, I worked on one of the Hallmark films. Uh, just, I mean, that I had the, uh, you know, opportunity to work with uh, a really nice sound mixer. Who, and that, I was the, for the Hallmark, for the Hallmark, was that Laszlo you're working with or somebody else? Uh, no. So I worked on, uh, the Christmas CEO, which was, uh, and that was with, uh, a man named Dylan. Oh yeah. Dylan. Oh, okay. Dylan uh, argument. Yes. Yes. Oh, he yeah. was, and D- he was fantastic. Dylan, Dylan knows this stuff for sure. Yeah. Dylan's a he, good guy. he honestly, he taught me so much cause it, okay. Here's, here's how it worked, right? Their boom up was really sick. And so one of my friends, he's an AD, Liam McLaughlin, uh, he called me that day and he was like, Hey, we need a boom up. You're, you should come in. And so I got out of bed and just went straight there. Yeah. And I basically learned on the spot. First of all, you know, there's an, a really, there's an art to boom up, you know, like, like for, you know, it looks like you're just standing there holding the thing, but like, if there's movement in the scene, like, man, I didn't realize how much running around there is and how you still have to be pretty precise and, you know, getting all that sound it's um, it's um it, it is a a hugely misunderstood aspect and, and yeah. you gotta know um i'm not a great boom op i'm i'm a very average boom op i'm a better mixer mm. than i'm a boom op maybe it's because i'm getting older and i got arthritis but but <laughs> the like the really good boom ops if you listen to them you say oh you know what's your secret and how do you do it and how do you look at it and if, and the, your ante into the game is which you know your 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 101 stuff is all going to be about you know your shadows and your lighting and blah 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 but yeah. if you listen to a professional boom op talk and you say you know what advice do you have it's not about mics and it's not about boom poles mm-hmm. it's about um posture and yep. technique in order that in order for you to still be doing this in 10 years so you don't yeah. crush mm-hmm. your body. And so right. you, looking at it like a professional point of view, it's 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 almost everything but sound. So yeah. when I look at a really good boom op, yeah, okay, yeah, did they get good sound? I assume they will. But if they have bad posture, I don't think they're going to be working in 2 years. So like it that's those sorts of those sorts of things uh from mm. a pro- professional point of view are you know that's kind of key and you could do a lot worse than learning under dylan that's for sure um he uh he's been in this business longer than i have so mm. uh yeah yeah that must have been that was a good experience dylan dylan's he knows his kit uh yeah. he um he's he's i'm i'm gonna guess i mean you probably just I mean, he's quietly confident it's hard to rattle that guy <laughs> uh yeah no he, yeah. he is one of the calmest dudes yeah you know, on set, which was, it was awesome because here I am like super, super nervous, right? Like I've never done this before. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, granted, like odd, like the, the first when they, you know, the, then they, you know, started rolling the cameras like, yeah, at the beginning of the day, it wasn't obviously I knew that my, the sound I was recording wasn't very good, especially because, you know, one of the first takes like scenes we did was I had to run across a courtyard back and forth. <laughs> um, but it was the, the experience that kind of gave me a lot of respect for boom operators because I was like, that was like, you know, 5% of sometimes what, what boom operators have to deal with. And it was like super eye opening for me. Um, and it was also great learning under Dylan because he, he was like, it was like, I only worked with him for like that one day as, as in the sound department, but it was like, he really mentored how I did things and it was great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, he's, and, and you know, <laughs> you'd have to, if you're working on a Hallmark or a, a lifetime mm-hmm. movie as a mixer, you have yeah. to be patient with your boom ops. Like there's, mm-hmm. because, you know, it doesn't pay all that much. Um, it's not a huge incentive to do this full time for the rates yeah. for the boom op. So, you know, a good mixer will, you know, will give you quite a bit of leeway. And, and, and yeah, I've, I've, I remember, uh, I won't name names, but I remember somebody who was trying boom op. Uh, he was with me for a week on a film filling in for mm. somebody else and he'd never done it before. And on the first, like the first few takes, I could hear the rattling of his, oh, of, yeah. of the mic mm. as a result of his nerves. Right. Like you literally was vibrating all the way down the boom oh, pole to the mic, poor guy. But, 
Well, yeah, yeah and but instead, like you know, what do you do? You can't you know say somebody you know like you know don't be nervous like this, <laughs> this right? Like Just don't be nervous. That, you know that doesn't help anything, and 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 you kind of you risk it out, and you say, well, how important was the boom in that particular scene? Could I, you know, yeah. can we use the 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 lav mics, or basically, did we just get coverage? I mean, did we did did we cover what we needed to cover from an audio perspective? Uh, and you have to think of the long game, like you know, this this is you know. Uh, you know, we can't hold up the entire production just to get, make it perfect right this mm -hmm. second on, yeah. on a scene that is maybe not one of the key scenes. So, yeah, and Dylan would know how to do this in his sleep. So, uh, yeah, no, well, great that you had that experience. So one thing that I learned, I mean, because, I mean, a lot of this stuff in school that I learned was more in studio, like sound engineering stuff. So, like, I, you know, like I knew the basics of, you know, sound waves and stuff like that. But one of the things I... I kind of learned was and this I'm, I'm assuming it's different for everyone but uh one of the things dylan was saying to me was it's he honestly always prefers to get the boom audio because you like you get the clear sound of the people talking but you also get the environmental stuff whereas yep. obviously they're wearing labs but the labs are like extremely like a lot cleaner audio and almost sound too clean when it's, you're in post maybe i would describe it I would describe it not necessarily as clean or not. I would put it more like as um, it, the labs lack a sense of space. Okay. So mm -hmm. okay. in I <laughs> there is a there is a dirty secret amongst it, it, it's it's almost a, a worldwide conspiracy. All sound people know <laughs> that the boom is best, and that yeah. all this time and money spent on labs, and it is a huge <laughs> part of our time and money, um, is for the most part unnecessary yeah. okay it 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 gets you out of trouble in certain spots but it's it's kind yeah. of a crutch but in the end and this is why during covid i've uh i've never had better sound than i have had during covid <laughs> oh wow because you weren't, you weren't loving people right or would la instead of laughing everybody if somebody if somebody even breathes in a scene well we got to put a wire mm. on them okay whatever but now it's like listen lav when necessary and I get to make the call when necessary to get as few uh, as few touch times with the talent as possible to lower the risk of COVID transmission. And mm -hmm. so if I look at somebody, I'm like, there's no need to make, there's no need to lab that person because I know I've got a good boom op who's got mm -hmm. a good mic and the situation is really perfect for that boom and we're going to be up in an extreme close-up. Yeah. Then I'm like... Do I need to lab that person? Sometimes I don't even want to give the editor the option, which I apologize, <laughs> you know, to you guys who are who are proper editors. But but I mean, there's at times if I really had my way, I'd be like, I'm not even going to arm that lav track. I'm going to force them to use the boom. But hey, you, you can't. But like, you no, know, in, in that way, I mean, that's Dylan's is was airing kind of what you know, almost every sound guy lives and sound person lives every day, yeah. which is I know the boom is better here if I can get it in. You know, like, and that's yeah. always the trick, right? If somebody's going to mm -hmm. do like an artsy scene that's got, you know, 10 feet of headroom, well, then that's going to be a problem. But um, if you can get it in and you get the right mic with the right boom op, uh, you, you don't really need, I mean, you look at the great movies that were shot, the 70s and 80s, what a great era for movies and great sound. And 99% of the sound from those movies were done with a boom. And, yeah. and there was, and they were clear you you could hear the dialogue um yeah you you got a sense of space the what you heard lined up with what you saw when you see a, a large like in a period piece uh you think of like amadeus mm -hmm. or something like that and you're thinking of like a large ballroom and there's dialogue going on it's not that you want to hear echo but it should sound like 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 that big open space rather than right. talking into a pillow yes like yeah it's like as opposed to like you know and this is also something that comes when like when you have to do ADR, right? And like when you're doing that in an isolation booth, like yeah. it, it it the space of the sound is just so radically different. And like I always know when I'm hearing ADR, even though honestly, like it, it's it's clear, it's crisp audio, it's always easier easy to tell when i'm he yeah. hearing adr and actors hate it too because it's hard to it's hard to play off as of somebody else's performance in it's, adr yeah, it's right it's crazy hard yeah. cuz you have to mimic like the exact mm -hmm. like lip movements and like it, you know 
It's, yeah, it's it's very difficult. It it's interesting. I was uh, I never thought about ADR much uh, until I was listening to the the Delta Flyers. Um, the guys who played Tom and Harry on on Voyager doing a podcast where they're rewatching all the episodes, and right from the start they talked about how much ADR there is in the show. Hmm. And um, Garrett Garrett Wang uh, had said uh, that you know they actually focused less on the lip movements and they just they just repeated it like. 15 times and then you know whatever mm. whatever was the best one they you, we'll make it work right and they yeah. pro tools it through or whatever like to, yeah and, yeah you know, and it, I, I i i hate's not a strong enough word i hate that like i <laughs> like adr is a four-letter word to me um i realize <laughs> at times it is necessary um if something goes wrong or somebody wants to change a word a line in the script or something but, mm-hmm. yeah. but really it it takes you it takes the audience out of the moment if mm-hmm. yeah. if you're not conscious of it, there is a part of your subconscious knows that there just want some, wasn't something right about that line delivery. No matter mm-hmm. how good the actor was, it's just wrong. It mm-hmm. does. It takes you out of the moment, and it, it'd be like a bad baseline. You'd never put your finger on what the problem was, but it's there. And so yeah. it, that that um, you know, and that kind of goes to the you know. When I, when I when I when I work on something that's going to require some EDR, you know, I have to go through the the, the self-flagellation. Like, what did I do wrong? But, <laughs> but but really, you know, so much of that happens in in other films I've seen too, where there's a lot of EDR or TV shows. It goes to it goes to pre-production. It goes to location selection. It goes yeah. the 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 ADR becomes very predictable before even day one of the shoot, and <laughs> and it's a, it's more of a management issue. Than it is even directly a sound issue, so um, ADR to me symbolizes a a larger process that went wrong. Yeah. So yeah, because I was always under the impression. Again, I've only done like a small handful of you know professional sets, but especially from some of the articles that I read, I was always under the impression that you know ADR is kind of a symptom of you know, not giving the sound department either enough uh, time isn't the right word, but enough time, well, time and resources to get the right audio. Or let's say you're, you know, on a street and it's like a noisy highway right beside. Right. Obviously the audio is going to be pretty, you know, pretty garbage in that respect. Um, You know what? It kind of depends. Like, so I hold up in my mind when I think of movies uh, of course Quentin Tarantino gives the sound person an incredible amount of leeway um, mm-hmm. but I think oh, about nice. like I think about um, A Star is Born okay mm-hmm. the the latest rendition of that with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga I loved it the you know there's been a whole articles written in the sound community about how the music was done in that and that was its own very rare special thing and how how they pulled it off and why to my ears when I heard it and I and I talked to the to the sound mixer online afterwards because I had questions about it and the sound community is so small you can actually do that so you can actually <laughs> oh, you know, really? some, some Oscar winning, <laughs> winning like sound mixer we're all on on one online forum okay called JW <laughs> oh, sound wow. every single one of us and then any of us you just private message and start chatting with and it's not a big deal right so I started asking a lot of questions about it and um, because when I first saw it I always, I can't help it. I always listen for that lav mic because I want to know, like, mm-hmm. th- I like to hear the balance, like, and how did they yeah. blend it and everything. There was one line in the entire movie that that used the lav mic. Every really? other line, when they finally went through the post-production process, every other line mm-hmm. in the movie was from the boom. Now, in in the, you know, in the modern era, that just doesn't happen on a large set. No. So I want mm. I want like how how did that come to be because that's a management issue. And he mm-hmm. got talking about how like how he was given the time and resources and the part of the planning process ahead of time. That was that was set up to succeed. So when you do have speaking of truck and on a street, when you have a scene like like Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga sitting outside of like a 7-Eleven or something. Yes. And you yeah. see in the background full on freeway traffic with transport mm-hmm. trucks running in the background this none of this none of this was like this wasn't piped in in post that's the truck you see the truck mm-hmm. you hear you, you, that is that truck from that take 
and yet there's mm-hmm. still dialogue and yet you can still it's still clear you can hear the truck but the dialogue is clear yeah. it isn't they didn't do it through some other magic it was just good booming good setup the right mics and uh, a, a production that gave that sound mixer what was needed and it sounded so authentic so authentic yeah um, that's, and uh, that's really awesome. I, ever since seeing that, I hold that up as my like my goal. So um, on the way to that, I mean, of course, like I'll I'll never reach that level, but in the attempt, then maybe it might make my work now better. So when I, I remember mm. going down to Costa Rica for that shoot, and <laughs> as you know, maybe this is narcissistic, but at the end of it, and after post production <laughs> for all that, the thing that my big takeaway from that was when the director said to me, he did not need to do one line of ADR. Oh, and so damn, that man. for me was like, oh, so good. that's what I, that's was like, oh, okay. That was a big deal because we were shooting under pretty <laughs> extreme circumstances. So, um, yeah. I was, I was really happy with that, but that's, uh, but, but that's because that particular director, every time I work with him, uh, he, he, you know, I, I don't think I eat up any more time than any other sound mixer, but when I say we need to do a thing, he takes that seriously. And so that's, you know, and that's all I ask for. So um, I'm given yeah. that kind of leeway. So I'm able to pull off and save them money in post. Um, so yeah, that was a big deal. That was a big deal for me. It was, I, the trip was cool and there was all sorts of shenanigans and, you know, <laughs> interesting happen, things happen and lots of stories. But my takeaway for the whole thing was no ADR. <laughs> so. That's a good takeaway. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I, have, I have a couple things unless you have something Julian uh no yeah go okay. ahead uh, so a couple things. I want to come back to just a couple things you said you're you're pulled you're, you you describe as being pulled kicking and screaming into your next career <laughs> but the way you describe it you sound more like Forrest Gump in that you just I, I, wouldn't, I it, it doesn't sound like you get pulled it sounds like you just kind of go where the breeze blows you and then things happen <laughs> yeah uh, I guess you know a little bit of follow the money um <laughs> yeah. and um I, I've I've got to, I mean, I was brought up by communists, okay, okay. and like like a, a general naive belief in the way only way that you can get when you're like you know you've got a you know uh, you've got all the privilege that a uh, you know <laughs> that someone like me had growing up in the seventies, okay. like we were rich but just you know you know like you're you know m- you know middle class right white, yeah with professional parents you know in Mm -hmm. some ways life can't be easier right so so you have you're brought up with this belief that if you're if you're really good at something everything will just work okay you don't have to worry about the money Mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about anything it'll just it'll fall out of the sky so you know (laughs) it's it's very naive and, and everything like that looking back but but that that you know i was like oh well i'll uh sound looks cool i'll do that and okay. with a with with no no market research no no formal education in this field and uh it it should have failed <laughs> so, but uh, you know uh, what? hey yeah. yeah you know i like it i you know yeah. i i'm not new age but i do believe that life gives you gives you what you need when you're at the right time so, yeah i mean i've got a very the... my wife's a part of it right I mean, hmm. like anybody, anybody listening here and, and we're all, you know, we're all kind of working like in a gig economy. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. uh, you know, try, try doing that without a patient spouse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, That's yeah, like, uh, uh, my, you know, my wife works in the government, she's got the steady paycheck. So she, we were able mm-hmm. to kind of, we were lucky enough to be able to kind of, uh, withstand all the trials and tribulations mm-hmm. of the first few years of operating a small business before it can I, get, I, you know, I, operational I do, and profitable. I do like that you use the word luck. And this is something Julie and I have talked about a number of times is a lot of people yeah. like, no, I did this all through hard work. And like, no, you didn't because you can't, you can't account for luck and opportunity. Those are things. That those are intangibles. They're not part of the equation. They just either happen or they don't. So I very much like that. You're like, yeah. I mean, I did this thing, and as luck would have it, we were able to to weather the early days. That's uh, that, that's I, I a nice touch, Steve. It's lucky, you know. Now we're gonna. Uh, I mean, you can edit this out if it doesn't fit. So um, you, you, we're gonna we're you're gonna step on. You're gonna have to. You know, we're gonna step on the toes of my politics a little bit. And <laughs> and and I make. I have no illusions that if. You know, 
maybe if I'm a different gender, maybe if I'm a different race, mm-hmm. um, maybe if I'm a different sexual orientation, then all maybe all things. maybe all these things that that you know, okay, I tell myself I worked hard, but maybe maybe they don't work out. So we maybe maybe I have to work twice as hard to get there. So you know, I'm well, I I'm, I've, I've I've worked hard, yeah, no doubt. But I I try to to keep my eye on my you know the fact that I can get away with this. I got away with leaving the government, moving to Vegas, and becoming a mm-hmm. poker player and making a living out of it, and mm-hmm. with with pretty much no uh, consequence. And then I switched from there to go into film, which has got nothing mm-hmm. to do with any of the previous professions, right? So, um, yeah, lucky, hard work, but having good people around you. Um, and, you know, being, you know, having the table tilted towards you in the first place definitely helps. So having mm-hmm. a, yeah, having a support system there that, because oh, yeah. jumping careers, like, you know, a few times in life, like that's, it, it, it takes a little, it's kind of, it can be really, really difficult to get acclimated to, oh, yeah. you know, your new surroundings and all that. And so, yeah. Yeah. When, uh, you, yeah, when you look at when somebody asked my resume and, and, I know what's going through their head. They're even thinking I'm either a Renaissance man or I'm a flake <laughs> mm. <laughs> or both, you know? So, the, um, but no, I mean, it's, it, it's, uh, I mean, you're right. And I, and I, I do like that you brought that up because yeah, there's, there's a number of factors that could have, could have impacted this, this journey to, and it mm-hmm. did not have worked out, but yeah, I mean, and look, it's, I, it's I, nearly, that... I nearly quit. I nearly quit sound. Like I, that, excuse the analogy, but I, that baby nearly got throttled in the cradle. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I w- was uh, just starting sound as like almost a side hobby to get me on sets to edit, and then mm-hmm. I got asked to fill in as a boom op on. In the, it turns out one of the largest feature films I've ever worked on. Okay, and mm-hmm. um. Uh, and I got introduced to Laszlo, okay, the sound mixer for for, yeah. with, for we become great friends and have great colleagues, and uh, I learned so much from him. The working on the film was a disaster. There's still lawsuits involved with oh uh, unpaid crew. It's a mess. You can't even bring up the name of the film without people being triggered in Ottawa right. film community. It's a mess. However, and, and, and it was such a mess and such a discouraging experience that I, I thought, I, I, I thought I'm getting too old for this. I, I, I can't be a part of a, 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 an industry built drama. on abuse. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, it was awful, but you know, I watched Laszlo, the mixer at the time, weathering the storm and keeping as Zen as possible, mm-hmm. uh, even under in, incredible pressure. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I thought, okay, this is a filter that somebody, and I don't care what department you're in. I mean, I'm talking about sound, but I mean, this could be hair and makeup. This could be grip. Uh, this could be camera. This could be locations or the art department, the locations mm-hmm. and art department. I, I always think when I have a bad day, it's never as bad as the bad days they get. So, <laughs> um, yeah. I, and I thought, you know, this is a filter. I have to be able to toughen up. I have to be able to get through this filter or else how am I, how am I going to be professional, right? So watching somebody like Laszlo, who stuck with it, one of the few people who stuck it with it through that, with that film from start to begin, start to end, uh, it, it was a lesson for me in, in the kind of tenacity that you're, you're going to need on, on yeah. tough sets in tough situations uh, when, you know, you're on hour 16 of, you know, six days in a row and everybody's nerves are fried and everybody's sleep deprived, you know, at that point, you know, the, the pros keep on marching, uh, and you know, the, the, the people who can't cut it, they, for their own sanity, they have to quit. So I had to decide who do I want to be? So I had that experience early, uh, again, lucky enough to stumble in it and have Laszlo as a mentor at that point, uh, was a, I, without that experience, without him there, maybe a different mixer, maybe I just quit. Mm. You know, it, easily, <laughs> easily. So, but I think everybody, wow, every, yeah. all of you probably had that moment is like, oh, what am I doing here? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. so. Um, yeah. Now, I want to come back to, because I, I kind of can keep in notes here with things I want to come back to. So, uh, a bit of history. I met Steve, uh, Stephen, about, I want to say like five years ago, roughly, uh, on on Trav- one of Travis's shoots for Spell Fury at the college. 
Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, he was uh, he was teaching a course at the college, and I was yep. assisting there, and I, I yes. was kind of like a teaching assistant for a semester. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's and, uh, uh, that is where I met you for the first time. That yeah, so right. I met I met yeah. I met, uh, I met uh, Stephen, and I met uh, that was the first time I met Tyler Pope too, because he was he was helping out that day. Oh, really? Uh, and then we crossed paths again on Vincent's Digi Sixty from like 2018, the one in the elevator. Uh, oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember oh, that. That's yeah, right. That's yeah. right. Three yeah, was crammed in an elevator. Yeah, him and Isabel and yeah, yeah. So so we've actually worked together a couple times, and yeah. um, we've been mostly talking about your your more professional uh, professional stuff. But you've run the gamut from from you know no budget resource filmmakers all the way to to you know high end productions and um I still do that. <laughs> that's and well that's and that's what I kinda of mentioned a little bit when we started talking is that you're yeah. you're you're very vocal and you're very uh you're very generous with your with your information and advice on uh on on the the, the communities yeah. which uh I'll, 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 I'll appreciate I appreciate that. Um but uh before I turn a uh a necessity into a virtue um <laughs> I you know, there is, I do have a purpose for when, when I'm maybe like, you know, joining a film set with no budget and I'm not being mm -hmm. paid. Um, mm -hmm. Quite often, one, in downtimes, like a, a slow period, I think I always have to be recording. You have to stay current. Okay. You have to understand your gear. And the place to learn about your own gear, if it's new, is not on a set where you're being paid buckets full of oh, money interesting yeah right and, okay okay and whenever whenever i get a new piece of key gear that's going to be part of my my key process and I've, i i'm kind of really big in the idea of of your like the important signal chain and the equipment that mm -hmm. goes from you know the end of the mic into your ears and into the recorder onto the card I have a lot of other gear, but that key gear is just so important that you need duplicates of it and you need to understand it inside out. So when I get a piece of new gear that I know is going to be part of that chain, it needs to be test driven, um, even yeah. a new boom pole. And so at that point, if the timing is right, if somebody I know is doing some very interesting short or, um, you know, it could be, I, I remember a guy asked me to do his thing. It might've been for Digi or might not have been Digi a short film and for no money and i mean he did offer i think gas money but uh it <laughs> the reason it did is because he was part of the short was a mariachi band okay and i have never oh, yeah. i had never recorded a mariachi band before and okay. i thought in a restaurant a mariachi band i want to record it in full stereo i'm going to get to pull out all the pieces of my gear that only see the light of day once a year and mm -hmm. I'm, it's going to be a serious challenge a sound challenge to, to do this with the scene with dialogue too and so that was the hook right so i had my purpose was is i i want to it's this little box i wanted to tick in my brain and also to to familiar familiarize myself with some stereo type uh, sound gear yeah. and process and that was it if he didn't have the mariachi band I would have said no so usually if there's like there's usually a reason where I need to get something because I need to justify you know the time spent on like away from home if I'm mm. not getting paid and right. so it's got to be part of a process it's got to be part of either learning um, or just it, it could be something that it would be completely not obvious to somebody else, but to me is an, an important thing to go through. So usually there is that. And that's why, that's why I end up working with Vincent quite a bit because Vincent gives me, first of all, he's always shooting. So I can call him up any yeah. day and say, are you shooting today? And the answer oh, is yeah. usually yes. <laughs> and then, you know, and he, then he lets me do whatever the hell I want. So if I need to experiment, <laughs> I've, I've brought, I mean, I've brought, you can... I, I remember, I remember one set, it was maybe for Digi for somebody else. I brought mm -hmm. my entire cart with my array of antenna and a boom op on, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. on a crew with a crew of five. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the sound department made up 40% of the crew and it was totally asinine, but I, it, it was a boom op that I was yeah. test driving 
for to be mm, a more permanent right. boom op on on future films and and that boom op was then with me for three more films so oh that's great but i needed to i needed to have that person familiar with the whole process of how this works and they needed to see they needed to understand they need to understand the cart i kind of have a bit of a philosophy that the boom op should if i have a heart attack which at my age and um at my bmi could happen that suddenly if i keel over in front of the board that the boom op can move my corpse and <laughs> take over and finish the scene at least right you got to be a professional yeah. finish the shoot <laughs> oh yeah I, I oh man if if i go out that way that'll be the perfect martyr story that that would just tickle me pink right oh yeah the sound guy died at the board but but finished the take yeah that's how i want to go that's a that's a professional yeah um now what I was what I was actually leading into was um, once again this is come back to the the, mm -hmm. the the fact that you've you've kind of done done it from beginning to end, from from nothing from nobodies to somebody's, and um, you and Julian had talked about this the lack of respect for boom operators, and this comes into and Julian I'm sure you've seen it too because we both work at the, the we're the unseen filmmakers, yeah and routinely I have seen. We'll just put just put them on boot. Just put that person on boom. Just put that person like there is. Okay, this is a pet peeve of mine, as as a writing coach, especially. But with sound being kind of our big thing too, you know how important it is. Is what camera do we get? What camera? What camera? What camera? Look, look at all this gear. Look at all this cool gear I have. I'm like, okay, well you don't know how to use it anyway, so maybe you should focus on story and story and sound. But there's nothing more grating than than. Then also seeing a post, I need a boom operator. Anyone will do, you know. Right. Like, well, if that's the case, just get a mic stand. Yeah. But my, so just to delineate, because I, I think most people who work on a larger set would understand the, the difference when you say a boom op as opposed to a mixer. Um, in some yeah. small shoots, of course, the boom op and the mixer are, are all one person. Mm -hmm. uh, on the larger yeah. shoots, it's separated. Um, and really, uh, the dirty secret is that the boom op is more important than I am. Okay, so I just need to make sure that the button's red. The boom op has got the real work, okay? Now I bring the gear and that's why I charge more and yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. But when it really boils down to that, that boom op is more important. So I think the tone for respecting a boom op on a set where you have a, a separate boom op and a mixer, the mixer is the one to set the tone for how everybody will view that boom op. And yeah. you know you can't change the world, but at the same time, like uh, the way I like I, I know that the, the boom ops got it tough at times they're being kind of like getting you know yelled at by the DOP if they dip in shot and I tell the boom op if you're not dipping in shot once a day you're not being aggressive enough mm -hmm. so um, <laughs> Dylan told me literally the same thing. it's true yeah it's like you got to get in close man and, and you know what so yeah. like if, if you know they'll fix it in post they'll zoom in whatever it'll they'll get mm -hmm. past yeah. it but but the the, the way at least that a, a sound mixer I try to demonstrate to the to the boom up how important they are to the process and to me is I give them agency and I give them agency for mic selection and I give them agency for how they want to handle a scene and I reinforce the fact that and the I learned this I didn't make this up I learned this from the best mixers uh, that I've talked to mm -hmm. in Hollywood that um, the mixer is working for the boom up that if okay. you have to have that okay. attitude because I am there to support the boom op. It's not, the boom op is not getting my sound. I am setting You're the table so that the yeah. boom op can get, can do their best work. And, you know, I think w if you start to, from day one on a set, if you, if as a mixer, you, you exude that, then the other people will start to understand maybe a bit more, or at the very least emulate that respect for your boom op. Um, so that's how I try to counterbalance that, you know, that perception. Put it, yeah. Well, it is. And the fact is, I think that people look to the mixer because you have, we, I think they see dollar bills and they see your cart and they assume that you're, you're the man in charge and you know, the boom, anyone can be a boom op. Yeah. Well, it's kind of it's in, in so many ways, it's the other way around. 
I mean, mm-hmm. like it, it's, yes, I, I have to go through a filter and learn how to use the gear and wire people up and et cetera like that. But mm-hmm. I know when push comes to shove, it's going to be the quality of that boom mic. And I'm going to get there by the quality of my boom operator and everything else is secondary to that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I know the perception out there and, and you know what, usually that will tell me everything I need to know about the people I'm working for. If, mm-hmm. if, um, if that's their attitude, but you know what, the good directors I work for and the good productions I work for, uh, they, uh, they do not have that attitude about boom ops. They know that Very if nice. I say we need a boom op and my boom op needs to be there and the boom op, we need to move that light so the boom op gets to the right sound, then then they will support that. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's more important than what I do in when it really comes down to it. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I got a couple more things, but do you have anything first, Julian? Uh, no, I'm really liking how this conversation's going on. <laughs> I am both learning a lot and yeah, it's great. Now Julian, Julian is our sound expert now, on on, on our on, on our little thing here because of his uh, his recent schooling and. Uh, well, Julian, you've experience. had proper schooling, so there's things about sound that you know <laughs> that I'll, I never will. <laughs> so a lot of the yeah, stuff that yeah. I know is uh, in post production, actually, like uh, like post production yeah. sound, sound engineering stuff like that. So so without y- your proper education and formal education, which would have served mm-hmm. me much better, is <laughs> the when I because I started editing, I started this mm-hmm. whole thing as a, as somebody in post production. I can't help when I'm on set, but when I'm doing sound, I always, always, always have an ear on post because it, yeah. it doesn't like. I mean, I can be switching dials around and playing around with this and that, but yeah, how is this going to cut? Do we have coverage? Do is there yeah. something that the editor can work with here? And it's always to the editor, and and nothing I do matters if the editor is not handed something they can work with. Mm-hmm. So to me, like I am a servant to the editor on set. And if I'm doing sound without thinking about post, then I'm not doing my job. Uh, it's, it all ends up there. And if I give you garbage, there's only so much that you can, you know, you, that, uh, uh, that you could do Very with true. isotope or whatever. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Isotope is like, is really a savior when it comes to that. Uh, for me, really, like what led me to learning more about sound was um, essentially the pandemic happened, right? And up until that point, I had made a bunch of films. You know, I directed a bu- you know a bunch of short films and stuff like that. And always, always, the thing that suffered was sound in all of my films. Mm, same. Um, yeah, and so when the pandemic happened, I was like, okay this could be an opportunity for me to kind of rethink things. And so I, I w- applied for music industry arts at Algonquin college and the pursuit of, cause I'm also a musician and I do compose music composition and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I wanted to learn the ins and outs of sound recording. And so, you know, jump forward to a year later, I graduate and stuff like that. And now I kind of see a more clear path in, not only what I want to do, because I do like doing onset sound recording and stuff like that, but also, you know, Jason and I have talked about a few, uh, you know, offering a few things like post production, you know, sound mixing, uh, dialogue processing, stuff like that. Right, right. That's that's. I mean, like I said, you're the that's the proper education. Uh, that's where mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, you'll know stuff that. I would have to go to school to learn and it's all very cool. And I, I, I find it, I find that kind of stuff fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. when you're a location sound mixer, um, you, to be honest though, you don't really talk about, uh, frequencies, all that, uh, you know, as yeah. much unless they're actually radio frequencies. <laughs> um, yeah. you, you don't even talk, there's EQ is a dirty word. <laughs> the last thing an editor wants is anything EQ'd, right? So at that point, yeah. you know, I start to d- diverge from what like a, a, a mixer would, who's like a, a music mixer on a live production. Yeah. So, but if you really want, if, <laughs> if you really want uh, location sound mixers, you want to have us yap on and on, ask us about our bag power. Okay, ask yeah. us ask <laughs> us about how we are organizing our gear. Um, ask us like about cabling, 
okay, and quality cabling, but but really bag power. Bag power is where you'll get most sound people completely geeking out and yakking on. And you're like, what? Well, you know, a lot of money and time is in in all the supporting people and equipment that go into doing it the mics and the recorders and all this kind of stuff and eh, you just buy good gear and you learn how to use it properly that's the price of admission but like you know uh, yeah. how efficiently you know how, how many how many times you have to change batteries in a day that's that that gets me excited <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> oh yeah, yeah for sure <laughs> so yeah oh it's uh, um still on the topic of boom boom operators um you had talked about um getting in as it were and the different mic selection and whatnot which was when you and i talked about it briefly the other day it really kind of caught my attention because not once in years and years and years of doing this has anyone ever said anything but just get a shotgun mic and then you're like well i use this one for for outside and they use this one for for indoor dialogue and whatnot yeah mm. Yeah, and then another mic for getting me out of trouble. Like, I mean, there's there's trouble, different kinds of troubleshooting mics that that are very good at one thing, and then mm-hmm. if that situation pops up, then then you, you pull it out. So, uh, yeah, the mic selection again, though, that's kind of that's a um, for boom ops and for mixers that that's assumed like it's assumed that there is more than definitely more than two and more more than two types of mics in the kit for all these sorts of things and because your situations are pretty dynamic you've got car dialogue like Mm -hmm. you know miking up a car is its own thing and it's and it is it's it's uh it's a lot of its mic selection too because a car is going to be really weird you got a lot of reflections off of windows right and Mm -hmm. if it's a low budget that car is actually going to be operating not being towed Mm-hmm. And you also get a lot of low end frequencies from them because it's such an enclosed space, I, right? Yeah. I, I actually have a story about a car. Mm-hmm. When we shot Rideshare for Chelsea, I had I had wired the car up with a lav for each person. Yeah. And then I end and then I end up using the sound just from the iPhone that we shot on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Steven, well, it, it was it was perfect. <laughs> yeah. They, well, and, and and the thing is, like you and, and a and a car is like a fire and forget situation sometimes, where you, you mm-hmm. may or may not have the ability to even monitor what's going mm-hmm. on when you you know you're recording and hoping. So you know, dealing with situations like that, or when I think about the most nightmare situation, I remember recording in a in a girls' gym, like a locker room, oh with a bunch God. of cheerleader, a chum cheerleader movie, and so you've got like hard reflections everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, we're shooting in a place where they could not, they just didn't turn off the, you know, the HVAC. So you're mm-hmm. dealing with like, uh, whatever. It, it was a sound nightmare. Mirrors everywhere. So every mic is going to be in <laughs> shot. Every single mic is in shot with mirrors I, everywhere. I've so actually just, done the same thing. And I oh, know exactly what you're talking about. Totally, total nightmare. So you're, 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 you're relying on plant mics a lot of the time and mics that are just hidden out of sight taped to a wall with a wireless transmitter mm-hmm. like and every angle just like you know wiring up a locker the inside of a locker so that when that one <laughs> you know the one piece of dialogue when she opens up the locker we can hear it on the lo- on the wide you know like so you need you need a, 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 that variety to deal with those situations yeah. um and you know and sometimes you're just like <laughs> like you might have a plan you listen to it sounds like crap okay i gotta change it out like you know like <laughs> yeah. it's it, you know it's it, and this is where your the organization of your kit becomes really important mm-hmm. where yes. i have what i need in the moment and it's not going to cost production time like i'm not like oh you know mm-hmm. you know i need a half hour to go back to my truck and find the thing no like mm-hmm. i've i've got 10 seconds okay so you know you're what you have on hand and knowing thinking ahead of time what you might need and that variety of mics gets you out of a lot of trouble <laughs> a lot it's, of uh, trouble yeah. it, it, it's a good conversation to have because i mean at, at our level once again whenever i refer to our level it's like the people at the people at the bottom like us who don't have any necessarily any money or resources but the the kind of the go-to is get a get a zoom h6 and a uh and a, and a road an ND, yep. ntg2 or ntg4 mm-hmm. both of them are i i guess we can call them economy mics when you when you look at the overall pricing structure for for road products yeah and and you know what you could get out of it differs significantly from what what an amateur can get out of it and i don't and when i say amateur and for, this is weird connotation that amateur is bad and that really bothers me yeah i don't it's like, like no, that. 
I get yeah, you're it, not but a, I don't like you're it. Not, yeah. yeah, you're not a you're not a professional, so amateur it fits. I, um, I dealt I dealt with some really good amateur poker table poker players at the table in Vegas, who mm-hmm. could clean the clock out of many pros, right? Mm-hmm. So that 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 was schooling for me that you know somebody may be an amateur, but don't be fooled. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I said for 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 people at the uh, I'm not going to ask you for for product recommendations more your more your thoughts on you know given given the case you've worked on sets like ours you know the limitations that yeah, that, that yeah. we face with our with our locations and and whatnot <laughs> I don't know what question I'm asking but I hope how, you know what I'm, get, what I'm get, getting to get the most out of very little <laughs> yeah you know. um <laughs> yeah it's you know. It, like there's, a, uh, you're you're also you're talking to somebody who I I believe in buy once cry once, I <laughs> I do not like outgrowing my gear quickly, and right. then having yeah. money that I wish I had saved for something better. Mm-hmm. I realize at some point you have to pull the trigger or else it never gets done, but um, l- always looking kind of for that value, and you can never go wrong with a quality mic like a quality mic more than more than the quality of your boom pole more than quality of your recorder of course there's always going to be a you know a a kind of a choke point somewhere with Mm -hmm. with but but a quality mic never goes out of style um and you can definitely get away with like not everybody has the resources to you know pull it i've got five different mics for different situations it's just not realistic right it's like you know it'd be like everybody love to have three buckets of prime lenses but Mm -hmm. you know so um the having a clear vision on kind of how you like to shoot and what you're shooting and I make an artificial delineation, but it's it is it is kind of real to me. Is are you doing a lot of outdoor work or indoor work? That's that's where I would really kind of start if I was somebody being like, how do I get the most out of very little? Um, are are somebody doing a lot of are you doing a lot of outdoor? Are you doing a lot of dock work, for instance? A lot of um, uh, you know, uh, a lot of run and gun work, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of interview work where they, if you do like a sit down interviews where you have some control over the environment a little bit, like you're not dealing with somebody running around a kitchen and you're following them. Like if it's a sit down interview or if it's yeah. outdoor, the sit down interview and the outdoor work can really, if you really need it to, can all come from the same microphone. Okay. Big space mm, okay. or outdoor or sit down interview under control mic, uh, owner control yeah. environment can all, you can definitely get away with your you know, your traditional long shotgun microphone. So, you know, you've got your, your, your NTG four, uh, you know, your, I'll say, I guess I'll, I guess I'll say an NTG two, but you know, this is a very Mm -hmm. underpowered mic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, but, but really the, the, the pickup pattern from it under a controlled environment can get you what you want. Uh, it works well as ADR mic as well. Um, those shotguns are a good all around mic for somebody doing work that a lot of it's going to be probably run and gun outside. It will fit well into your, you know, cheaper blimp and all that kind of stuff. Um, I would delineate that from somebody who's like, no, I'm shooting a lot of like, you know, highly dramatic short films that are all indoor with like extreme close-ups with long lenses where they're every pore is jumping out on the screen mm-hmm. and their whole face yeah. fills the frame. And there's no headroom. Be like, oh, you're doing a lot of work like that. Okay. I'd be looking at a short dialogue mic for that then because yeah. it's going to be less reverberant. Um, it is going to... Um, it's going to have less reach, but it will have a much fuller sound. Um, it'll, it won't pick up the reflections as much, um, and you know, et cetera, et cetera, but it won't perform as well outside. So I don't know. That's, uh, you know, if, I mean, I think, I think if I hear your question, right, you're, you're, you're kind of asking if, if somebody can't afford, you know, two mics and a great recorder, where would you start? Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. a, I think that's a safe, safe approach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, there's nothing wrong with it. There's been, there's been perfectly good short films with perfectly good sound shot with an NTG mic and a zoom recorder. Like it's, if the, if, if the person gives attention to the sound and the detail and they plan ahead and they pick good locations, then you are going to get good sound. If you can get that mic in close, you're just going to, you're going to get good sound. There's, you can't, you can't really blow the sound under those circumstances. And, uh, 
at that point you can get away with very you know you know prosumer or consumer equipment mm. absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. um it it uh, the wireless is the trap that's the yeah. trap for for people mm-hmm. starting off in sound or beginners that is where that will eat up uh that'll eat up 80% of your budget for what's going to end up being 20% of your sound mm-hmm. and i don't like those yeah. numbers so all right, Cinemaniacs, I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Stephen Warren. Uh, the first of two, because our conversation was so expansive and covered so many elements of sound and film, we decided to break it up. This one kind of covered the uh, technical side um, and kind of equipment and whatnot, and the next one's going to be a bit more uh, bit more free-flowing, a bit more conversational, uh, just about our experiences with you know high and low-end, uh, now we made a couple changes. We are actually going by at Cinematica Canada on our socials. You can find us pretty much everywhere. Uh, we've also relaunched the post credits uh, movie review show, which you can find on YouTube on our Cinematica channel. Once again, at Cinematica Canada. Uh, we very much hope you enjoyed this episode, and we really would like you to come back for more because Stephen has so much to say about sound, so much good information. And a lot of it is transferable to amateur, indie, beginner, etc. To really help you step up your sound game and put your head, yourself ahead of others. Because, like we keep saying, you need good sound more than you need good video. So focus your money and your effort on the right. Having said all that, what else does there to say? We'll see you next time. Um, it's going to be a good show. Take care.